Welcome to Passion Church. For more information about Passion Church, please visit us online at www.passionchurch.tv. Now let's join the service already in progress. Well, there are some things that are complex and complicated, right? Like, for instance, somebody else's choice of music. We never think our own music, there's anything wrong with our own music, right? But how many of you know that what other people choose to listen to can be complex or complicated to us? Like if somebody chooses to listen to Bob Dylan, it's complex. That's complicated to me. I just don't understand it. Maybe like Scream Rock. Have you all ever heard of Scream Rock? You ought to go check that out. It would be, for most everybody in the room, it would be very complex and complicated to believe that anybody would like that. So let's be equal opportunity. Country music. That's complex for some of us. We just don't understand rap music. Some of us don't understand rock music. No, nobody thinks the nineties music is hard to understand. We kind of like the nineties music and this. Okay. So, all right. Uh, stuff is complicated. Here's another one that's complicated. How about the cloud? All this stuff up there somewhere that is, it's just kind of set up there and we can access it. Electronic files, digital files. Where is this cloud that everybody talks about? I can't figure it out. I just know that it's supposed to work. It's complex. It's complicated, right? How about this? Uh, this is complex or complicated for me. I just don't understand this. People's uh, loyalty to soap operas and reality shows. Has anybody figured that one out? I just can't. Okay, okay. so I know this one's complex and complicated. Oklahoma weather. Nobody can figure it out, right? So there are some things that are complicated and complex, but faith was never supposed to be like that. Faith is supposed to be simple. In fact, when Jesus showed up here and walked among us, he went out of his way to try to simplify everything, to clarify. The, the, the religious leaders of the day had made it so difficult to understand, so many extra laws and rules. And Jesus comes in and he walks in and he says, no, no, we're going to simplify this thing and make it easy for everybody to understand. So we've been talking about the fact that Jesus instructed his disciples on how to live and how to do all these different things. And we said that the definition of a disciple, one of the best definitions around is this, a fully devoted follower of Christ. So I had to ask this question, what were they devoted to? It's not enough to say they were devoted. We got to know what they were devoted to. And so fortunately for us, Jesus makes it simple. Our father makes it simple and he tells us. Can't get any more simple than that, right? So we've been reading out of Acts chapter 2 and we're told explicitly what they were devoted to. Here it is, Acts chapter 2, beginning of verse 42. They devoted themselves. It's not complicated, he tells us. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. People, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. It's simple. He lists it right out for us. First of all, they were devoted to his word, to studying scripture. We talked about that. We didn't talk about this one because we've talked about it so many times in the, in the recent past. They were devoted to fellowship. Uh, we talked about the fact that they were devoted to prayer, right? Today, I want you to understand that it is listed out for us completely uh, that, that we, we can see it. 
it, it's, it's specific. The final thing I want you to see in, in this very simple approach that the disciples participated in is this. Disciples worship. It's simple as that. Disciples worship. Uh, I, I said last week when we talked about that disciples were devoted to prayer, that uh, most of us, when we begin to talk about things like prayer, we check out. Well, that is especially true, maybe even more so in worship, because we live in an era where there is more worship resources available to us than we've ever had in, in, in any probably any point in history. You can get to worship anytime you want to, right? Uh, Am I the only one? Okay, I just want to make sure. I, maybe, I, maybe I have a special, like a bat phone that I can pick up and get to worship and nobody else can. But I think we all can get to worship as quickly as we want to. But we, I think what's taken place is that uh, the availability worship uh, of worship to us has caused a couple things to happen. I just want to mention them briefly and then we're going to move on and we're going to keep talking because we need to understand that disciples worship. But if we're not careful, because worship is so available to us, two things happen. The first thing is we turn worship into a spectator sport. We come to services like this or maybe other services and we watch other people worship and we treat it like a football game. You know how we treat football games? The team plays, but if our team wins, we go, we won. And we've done the same thing to worship. We come and we watch other people worship. We never sing. We never, we never raise our hands. We never talk to God. We never really do anything. We watch the people that are good at it. And then when we leave, we go, we, we worshiped. But in the New Testament, we're told that the disciples worshiped. All of them. The second thing I think that happens is in this day and age, if we're not careful, we're apt to get up, get caught up in the worship of worship. So what takes place then, we know that's taking place when we get caught up in style and preference. You've got to sing my style, my song, or I can't worship. When that, when we get to that place, we, we've come to the place where we worship worship rather than worshiping the object of our worship, which is Jesus. So we need to go back to this simple worship approach that the disciples were engaged in. So here are a couple things I want us to learn from how the disciples worshiped. From what we've read, some other things that we'll talk about, we're taught how the disciples worship. The first thing I want to tell you is this, is that disciples are holistic in worship. Okay, you go, well, what in the world does that mean? I, I, I was thinking how to say this because I, I wanted to say this, but, but we're so familiar with this phrase that we miss it. I wanted to say that worship is supposed to be a lifestyle, but we've all heard that. Most of us have heard that so often that we miss it. So I chose the word holistic because holistic uh, means this. It means characterized by comprehension of the parts of something as intimately interconnected and explicable only by reference to the whole. Okay, we're going to all repeat that to get, no, I'm playing. Uh, what it means is, is that worship was interconnected to every part of their life. They, 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 they got engaged in worship in every part of their life. It wasn't just reserved for Sunday. The disciples worshiped every day. And here's another one. I want to make sure we understand this. It wasn't just reserved when there was music. All right, now, I, I love music. But, but what we learn from the disciples is that, that music has nothing to do with it. 
I don't have a problem with music. I just, I just don't want us to reserve our worship when it's only accompanied by music. Because the disciples, they learned to worship without any music. In fact, if you go back to Saul, Paul and Silas in the jail, I just need to fill you in. Maybe you know the story. They're, they're in jail for preaching the, the gospel. And, and all of a sudden, they begin to worship at midnight. And I, I can assure you, there were no recessed bowed speakers up in the ceiling of that dungeon spitting out Bethel worship or Todd Tribbett or Fred Hammond or whoever your favorite is. But they, they, they worshiped anyway because worship was part of their entire life. They, they practiced um, two types of worship. I think it's, it's in, in, um, very important for us to see that they involved themselves in two types of worship. It's the same two that we participate in today. We're still doing the simple thing the disciples did. The first is, um, Paul, Paul talks about it. Let me tell you what he says. He, he talks about worship. He comes along and he says this. He says in Colossians chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, he says, Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach. Listen to this. As you teach and admonish. Uh, another word is encourage. Teach and encourage one another with all wisdom. How? Through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So the disciples knew it. Paul comes back and talks about it. He says that we have two types of worship that we need to be involved in. The the first one is, and and I'm going to flip the order because I want to draw emphasis to the most important one because we've got it kind of messed up in our day. So I'm going to flip them. All right. So here it is. The first one he talks about is corporate worship. In fact, Paul talks about this. He says, when we sing, when we come together, gathered like this, when you participate, it's not a spectator sport, when you participate and you open up your mouth and you begin to declare your thanks and your praise to God, that you literally teach each other and you encourage one another. We... Paul knew this. The disciples knew this. We need to understand. We need to come to this recognition that worship is essential to our spiritual growth. Corporate worship, where we spend time worshiping. You say, well, I can't carry a tune in the bucket. Well, join the crowd. There's a lot of us that can. But it is as you open up your mouth and you you extend your praise and your thanksgiving to God. Paul says that in that moment, you are literally teaching each other and encouraging one another. I need to be with you in worship. You need to be with me in worship. And if, I, if one, whoever your next two can't really sing, then just move a little bit over, just a little bit, so you can still concentrate. Right? But, but, but you need to worship together. Why? Because when I worship you, I am, I am aware of my ability to approach God. Because if you can approach God, I can approach God. You teach me that. You, you, when we worship together, it reminds me that our God is approachable. It reminds me that uh, we have a position with him. And the position is, is this, we're children. So I can sing. Uh, has anybody ever heard their child, when they're little, sing? And your, your mind tells you they can't sing a lick. But your heart tells you it's the most beautiful sound that has ever come across your ears. That's exactly why it's important for us to worship together. Because when you sing, whether you can sing on pitch or not, doesn't really matter. Because what it teaches me is that as a child, you're approaching the Father. And therefore, I can approach Him whether I can sing or not too. It teaches me. It lets me know that, that I'm not in this alone. 
that if you can come in here on a Sunday morning and throw up your hands and worship even though you may have had a rough week or whatever may be going on in your life, then it teaches me and explains to me that I am not in this journey by myself and there are people around me that understand what I'm going through. We teach one another as we worship and we share strength. And I I use the word encourage on purpose. We encourage one another. Because there's a lot of times I show up here on Sunday mornings and I'm discouraged. But when you begin to open up your mouth and when you begin to extol the name of the Father and when you begin to call on Him and when you call on the name of Jesus knowing that He has the strength to save, all of a sudden I'm infused with strength and courage. You encourage me. Then Paul goes on. Now here's the one that we don't talk very much about that, and I flipped them on purpose. Uh, Paul also addresses personal daily worship. Uh, We must expand our view of worship outside these four walls. We have to expand our view of worship and until until we come to this place where we simply see our entire life as worship. Not just our public moments. Uh, Richard Foster made this statement. He says, cause every task of your day to be sacred ministry to the Lord. However mundane your duties, for they are a sacrament. In other words, all he's doing is he's reiterating what Paul said. When Paul said, do everything as under the Father. As an act of worship. I I am convinced that uh, your daily life, your daily life of worship. I'm not talking about Sunday morning. I'm talking about when you get up at 8 o'clock in the morning and head to work. When you're supposed to be there at 8.02 and you got up at 8 o'clock in the morning to go to work. uh, And you roll out of bed, but you recognize that your work is worship. And you recognize that your classroom that you attend is worship. And you recognize your interaction with your neighbors is worship. what, what What I think we've got to come to is understand that it is our daily life that produces a worship platform to where we learn to worship in the daily processes of life and then we are prepared and positioned to come together and strengthen one another and approach the Father. The reason there are moments that we come together in corporate worship and we don't exchange uh, strength and we don't exchange courage and we don't feel like we're approaching the Father, I'm convinced of this, is in large part due to the fact that we don't develop that, that worship lifestyle on a daily basis and we're trying to wait till we got here at church and then we'll worship. Paul says that we should do everything as an act of worship and so we do that on a daily basis. Um, church members, listen to me, church members worship on Sunday. Disciples worship all day, every day. It's all interconnected. Uh, we, we recognize that every activity, every mundane moment, every situation becomes an opportunity to offer praise and thanks. The, the sacred and the secular, they intersect until we worship in it all. How much worship do you do outside of Sunday morning? I want you to notice I didn't say anything about singing or music, although they did sing and they did praise. In this particular part of it, he just says, do what you do as an act of worship. How much worship? Because we must devote ourselves to giving affection and attention to the one 
we are following. We must become holistic in our worship so that it includes all of our public life, all of our private life, all of our congregation worship, all of our private worship. It involves it all, and we learn to worship. The, the, the other thing I want to say to you about the disciples, uh, some of you are going to think I didn't study because I'm going to repeat myself from last week, but that's not true. I did this on purpose. Disciples are persistent in worship. Now, you remember, the reason I say what I just said is because some of you were here last week and you heard me say that the disciples were persistent in prayer. But I just want to make this statement to you. Uh, I think that what is true in prayer must also become true in worship. Uh, the record indicates that the disciples learned to worship in spite of rather than in response to everything being comfortable. Or convenient. They learned to, they actually learned how to worship in spite of the fact that there were moments in their life that were not comfortable and were not convenient. They learned how to worship. Just as too many of us give up in prayer, too many of us have done this. We've allowed the convenience of worship to whittle away at our ability to persevere in worship. So by are being unable or unwilling to worship in the tough times of life, we elevate, check this out, if we're not willing to worship in the tough times of our life, then what we are literally doing is we are elevating what we are facing to a position higher than God. Higher than God. And so we've got to grasp that the disciples... Gave no room for what they were facing to diminish or stop their worship. They learned to worship. They learned to be persistent in worship. We, so I said this last week. We must become tough in our prayer life. I am telling you, we must become tough in our ability to worship. See, we like the lessons. These are the lessons I like to preach out of the Bible. It's the ones you like to hear. It's it's these, that God has the ability to turn every situation around. Don't you like to hear those? I I preached one. I'll never forget. I preached one where I literally turned around in the message. You remember that? We talked about he could switch things. Some of you have been here a long time. We love those kind of lessons. But we must also learn the lesson that if he doesn't turn things around, his praiseworthiness is unaffected and undiminished. I know I wouldn't get much help there, but uh, I, I want you to understand that our devotion to worship is based on who we worship and not on what we face. I'm going to say that again. Because here's what I want you to understand. If, uh, uh, let me say it and then I'll tell you what I want you to understand. Because <laughs> I almost jumped. Our devotion to worship is based on who we worship, not on what we face. Because here it is. I'm going to get really simple with you. If you can only worship when things are going the way they, that you want them to go, then your God is weak. If you only have the ability to worship... When God will do what you want him to do, then you are literally playing this game of I will hold you hostage, God, and I will only give you what you want, which is my worship, when you do what I tell you to do. If that's how you approach worship, then he's not God. You are. So we must learn to become strong in worship. 
I, I want you to stop just a moment, just a moment, and then I'll get out of your way. I just want you to think about this. I want you to stop just a moment, and I want you to think about the situations in which the disciples learned how to worship. Because I think we sugarcoat the word sometimes, and we make it better than it was. Because they learned to worship in jail. And they learned to worship when they were being persecuted. And they learned to worship when people were throwing rocks at them. And they learned to worship when they were being mistreated. And they learned to worship when they were being scattered. And they learned to worship when things were not very comfortable. They were being excommunicated by their family, excommunicated by their community, excommunicated by their worship system. And yet they learned how to persist in worship. They did. They knew how. They had picked up a lesson that we talk about from the Old Testament from Job. Because you remember the story of Job. Many of you do. Job was blessed and he worshipped. He was rich. I mean, he was filthy rich. He didn't need to play the lottery. He was filthy rich already. All right. He'd already won the lottery. God had blessed him beyond measure. And he learned, he worshipped and all that. He had a great family. His family was perfect. He worshipped. He had a great house. He worshipped. His dog obeyed every time he said sit. He sat. He worshipped. His cat would heal on command. It was, he was physically well. He worshipped. But, but what the disciples also knew was that Job continued to worship when his his family was destroyed and his children were killed and his house was burned and his livelihood was lost and his physical body broke out into sickness. He continued to worship to the place that he said this, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. God is to be praised when he gives me everything my heart desires, but he's also equally worthy of my praise when he doesn't give me what I desire. And even if he was to take it all away, He's still worthy to be praised. Listen, we've got to come to this place if we're going to be disciples that we must learn to do what the Hebrew writer says when he says we must make a sacrifice of praise. Can I just help you this morning? Uh, If you come to church and make this statement like they didn't sing your favorite song, you didn't like the style and you go, well, I'm just going to worship anyway. That's not a sacrifice. That's pretty petty. That's not sacrifice. That's not what I'm talking about. A sacrifice is only a sacrifice when it costs you something. So what I'm talking about is the disciples learn this. We must learn this, that I learned to worship him when it would be easier to be bitter. I still worship him when it, when it would be easier for me to lay blame to somebody else. I instead put my attention and affection upon him when I'm weak in my physical body and I don't feel like worshiping him. I make a sacrifice of praise and I continue to worship him when my checkbook is not as full as I want it to be. I still praise him when I'm sick in my physical body. I still praise him when everybody rejects me and turns away and walks walks out of my life. I still praise him. I make a sacrifice of praise when everything is going wrong. I praise him because he's worthy. How devoted to worship are you? How devoted are you, are you to personal moments of praise? Do you look for opportunities in your daily life to worship him, to lay down your, your own life in a sacrifice of praise to him and say, my whole life is yours. How persistent are you in worship? Because some of us weak in worship. I mean, we stub our toe and we quit worshiping. And I know that hurts, but, but, but we could still call on the name of Jesus instead of calling on some of the other stuff we call on. Uh, 
We, we only think about the men when we talk about disciples, but there were women disciples too because I'm reminded of Mary and Martha and the Bible says that Mary was a lot like Steve Ely. She was caught up on the details and she was extremely type A and she wanted everything perfect, but her sister Martha wasn't anything like me. She was just like comfortable sitting while Martha was slaving away in the kitchen and, and making food and trying to clean the house. Martha's sitting at Jesus' feet and Jesus makes this statement. He says, Martha's chosen that one thing, that one thing, that one thing, and it won't be taken away from her. And I'm just asking you, how devoted are you to that kind of worship? Because I'm concerned that a lot of us have made worship optional in our daily life and in our corporate life. If another offers better. Okay. So simply put, come on, folks, come on, Julie, worship team, we're going to spend, we're going to take a moment and go back into worship, and then I'm going to come back and make a final statement. But I just want to say it like this is, are we really devoted like the disciples or do we let any, any, any excuse that comes our way keep us from worshiping our Father? So I'm going I'm to say it as simply as I know how. Here, here's a, simply put, simply put, our Sunday worship has to interconnect with the rest of our life. Did you get that? I want to say it one more time. Simply put, our Sunday worship must interconnect with the rest of our life. We say, well, the rest of my life is not very pretty and it's painful, and I, but we're persistent. So I can worship on Sunday, but you better believe I can also worship on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday. It doesn't matter who wins. doesn't matter who loses. doesn't matter how my boss acts. doesn't matter how my spouse acts. doesn't matter how my kids act. doesn't matter who acts bad. I'm so persistent in worship that my Sunday worship invades the rest of my life. Disciples worship. They don't expect a worship team to worship for them. They worship. I want you to stand with me. We're going to sing one more song. And I want you to take this opportunity to act like a fully devoted follower.